This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for August 24th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, or you can find us on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you set up a one-time a recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I am one of your hosts. It is your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Join alongside my co-host and friend, Case Lowe. In Case, we are kind of are in the dog days of summer, and the way it's playing out, I think, at least in Dragon Gate, is not at all what we are anticipating or hoping for. Am I off base in saying that? No, Mike. Dragon Gate is certainly in a lull period and we are going to talk about that plenty on this podcast there's a lot of things uh that i i think drangate could learn from their history and i'm afraid that they have not taken any of those lessons as we move into the latter half of 2021 but i do want to make a brief aside at the start of this podcast because while drangate is certainly not delivering the goods right now there is a promotion based in america And I want to use this platform just for a second to talk about it. August 20th, 2021, in the United Center, Tony Khan did the unthinkable. I was in the building for it. Mike Spears, he booked Matt Seidel versus Pac. And boy, oh boy, was that a fun professional wrestling contest. Who cares about other people maybe returning for the first time in seven years? Who cares about being in the United Center? What we needed were two of the three founding Gaijin in the Dragon System to face off for a YouTube show. So I was really disappointed that Elevation last night did not have that on there. Of course, I watch every piece of AEW content because I'm a sick person. But yeah, man, I'm jealous that you got to see that live. Yeah, I don't know when it's going to air because we're recording this on the 24th. And as of right now, AEW has not announced this match on their social media pages. And we're recording this a little bit earlier than we normally do. Normally, we record when dark is going on. But I I, I do not know if this will air. Uh, if this will be out by the time this podcast comes out. I do not know if it's going to air the first week of September or next week. I don't know what the plan is. It's not a four-star match. It's not spreadsheet worthy. But damn, was it fun to watch because, it, you know the dark tapings are are bizarre it's kind of a fascinating piece of business to watch just how quickly they get people in and out of the ring the amount of matches they oh, are able sure. to shoot in a in a two-hour time period is honestly remarkable it's such a well-oiled machine and most of the time on these dark matches you're getting 
you know, one wrestler that has the jobber entrance that has, you know, no uh, entrance music, no lighting. They just come basically through the side and then end up in the ring. And then, you know, your star wrestler gets the, the entrance music and whatnot. We got one here where Matt Seidel comes out and then Pac comes out. And I was the most excited person in the United Center at this moment. I, I will say, uh, because I, this pertains to the Dragon System, I kind of want to break this down for just a second. Like, Seidel's music hit, and I was obviously very excited. He's one of my favorite professional wrestlers of all time. Not the biggest pop, which surprised me a little bit, just given who he's been working with recently, the amount of high-profile matches he's been in, the fact that he's had, you know, a WWE career and this and that. He's been around for forever. Didn't seem like Seidel really blew the roof off of the place. Pac came out. And what a monstrous pop that Pac got. Now, obviously, everything in comparison uh, fails when you look at what CM Punk did later that night. But considering the core AEW roster, obviously, John Moxley got the biggest response. I feel like Pac was really in that upper echelon of responses. And then, Mike, I don't know if this person wrestled on the last AEW show you went to or not, but the pop that Evil Uno got when he came out, I thought the it was whole- I thought it was Hulkamania in 84. I could not believe the sound the United Center made when he came out. It, it's something that I went to the Miami Dynamite. So right when they started back on tour, it's insane how over the Dark Order is. Like, And I was someone, like this is something that I talk more about on the sister on our sister podcast. But I was someone that's like, all right, we got to see all of the Dark Order get really, really hot. And then we don't know what to really do with the Dark Order right now. So... Let's see if it carries over from no crowds having crowds. And then they just had a monster pop. It's like, all right, the Dark Order is here to stay. But it, it's a it's somewhat surprising how over Pac is. Because like each time I see him live, and I've seen him now live in AEW several times, he is a lot more over than one would ever expect. And I mean, he's someone who only puts his best foot forward, so it shouldn't be such a big surprise. And it, it's just so cool to me, like the idea that just as like a little minor like history lesson for folks who aren't too familiar with it when dragon gate opened up to gaijin the first really big one was jack evans and he was there and then it was matt seidel and pack so the fact that they did this and th- th- they've done a little subtle ways of honoring masato yoshino before but the the fact that like this is very much like in my mind like a tribute to masato yoshino match in a way it, it- it's so cool to me uh, like, I think it's awesome that they are thriving and the Dragon System family members are doing well across the world. Yeah, it's a super fun TV match. I think it would have gotten a really good response had it ended up on Dynamite or Rampage, but it's going to be buried on Dark, So, but be sure to go out of your way to watch it. It's the first time those two have ever wrestled each other in America. They've had two singles matches, both of which happened in the UK, one in 2007 on the same show where Doi and Shingo won the ROH tag belts and then one in 2019 at a Rev Pro show. They also, the only other time they've been across the ring from one another, September 12th, 2007 on a next show, MC Casey and Pac versus Lupin Matsutani and Matt Seidel. Boy, would I love to get my hands on that footage. My main man, Lupin Matsutani. <laughs> I mean, he's only on the network in very few instances. Just throw up all the nexes. Like, you, you know how much of a good time I would have if I'm bored and it's like, oh, it's a Dragon Gate next with uh, MCKZ, Ape Kamada, and Lupin Matsutani? Come on, get out of here. That That's like my dream right there. Oh, if they ever unloaded the next archive, that would become, you know, what we were doing 
with Drangate USA. I mean, we would just review all these next shows because there are four matches. Uh, none of the matches or hardly any of the matches are over 10 minutes long, but this is the earliest footage we have of so many guys. And I, yeah, I would, I would kill for some of this next footage. I'm looking at a show right now, next 27, Jorge Rivera versus Tozawa and Masato Yoshino versus MC Casey in the main event of a next show. I am oh all boy. about that life, Mike Spears. I am all about that. I'm just thinking about like Skyda versus Tozawa and what that possibly could be any stretch of the imagination you know i mean that's just wild stuff and this is like next was like a really kind of cool thing and only like may tv very erratically but it's kind of like for for those who are joining on now like the one future match that we get that we're starting to get every televised show that's what next was except it was just that it was originally in the sanctuary which was the building that dragon gate was based out of for 14 years and then now it is based or it was based in Kobe Lapis Hall where they have done all their empty arena wrestling at and it's what it kind of turned into prime zone which you know I don't have to say too much about my love of prime zone it is one of my favorite things that Dragon Gate's ever done I don't know if cherish is the right word perhaps that's taking things too seriously but it, it should be appreciated to some degree that we're getting these future matches on TV because I think these have been a ton of fun. They were fun when they existed as network uploads only. And now that we see them in a a bigger picture as a part of a full show, I think these matches actually, I I think they're more enjoyable now because they really stand out and, you know, whatever, you know, the Ahashi brothers or, or Fujiwara or whoever else are doing in the dark match exhibition really stands out compared to your opening six man. And then whatever else happens down on the card. So, yeah, I would love to see that next uh, next library uploaded. And when it airs, go check out Matt Seidel versus Pac because that was that was a very, very fun match. Yeah, I was really disappointed to know. First, I, I try not... It's not that I try to say spoiler-free. I it, It's something that, like, if it's, like, Dynamite or Rampage that's taped, I will avoid spoilers like The Plague. I just kind of like seeing how things kind of go out, go off. Like, I mean, it's also why I log off of social media when there's a Dragon Gate show I'm trying to say unspoiled with, but... Pack versus Seidel, like that is, did did it get more than like eight minutes? I I think it went right around eight, and a lot of okay. the match, like I, so, I was higher on it than some of the people in the building that I saw tweeting about it because a, a lot of the match was based around Pac interfering with Andrade, who was doing commentary. Uh, what is that his name? What's his name in AEW? Andrade El Idolo. That's what I thought. All right, yeah. Which look, I think he's going to be a dud, and I I'm worried that he's not going to be able to get a good match out of Pac. A lot of the matches, those two bickering back and forth and going up the ramp, and you know Pac is trying to yell at him from there, which I thought was super entertaining. Uh, but there is enough in ring action. This in particular, you know, it was interesting watching Seidel in person. I I've seen him wrestle twice now in person at Ring of Honor shows, where I'm obviously right up on the ring, and it's a much different environment than being in the the third deck at the United center. There were a few wrestlers that I, I thought just from my vantage point where I was sitting at this AEW show, thought their work was exposed a little bit. I, I thought they were working really loose. I could tell strikes weren't connecting and there was no real oomph to anything they were doing. Seidel yeah. on the other hand jumped I guess not off the screen. I guess maybe jumped off my eyeballs. I mean, I, I thought everything <laughs> Seidel did looked so, so crisp in this match. And then you obviously have Pac, who is 
to a degree, this era's Bret Hart, the excellence of execution. I've never really seen Pac make a mistake in the ring. Seidel was right there with them. It's it's something that I would like to see going forward. I wish we would get some Death Triangle Seidel brother interactions. I hope we get more Matt Seidel on the show because... You know, we we talked about him with Alan when we did our our greatest wrestler ever show regarding the Dragon System guys. Was mm-hmm. we all love Matt Seidel? We think he's the man. We we we've loved most of his career, but it seemed like his best days were behind him. And I just at this point, you know, kind of chalked him up to being an aging veteran and someone that was nice to have around, but not really someone that I would expect great matches from. And then like a month later he had the Kenny Omega match and then all the stuff he did with the young bucks and all the stuff he's been doing with Mike ever since. And he has just reminded me, shit, man, Matt Seidel was really, really good at this. Like what an excellent professional wrestler. Yeah. It, it's something that like he's done the age transition to like, yeah, he will fly still, but he's become a lot more of a grounded wrestler. And a, he's really kind of showed off all the, uh, training he's done with his mat work and it's really exciting and it's a nice like second act for him and then mike Seidel is having the best matches of his career and it's a whole lot of fun that trio that they have with don <clears throat> pardon me dante martin who's just a superlative is great and it's just nice to see people from the dragon system and i mean i guess of course the bucks but like it's nice to see people from the dragon system keep on and especially like seeing that the gaijin and others have kind of that there's very few promotions now, major promotions now that do not have someone in the dragons that is of the dragon system representing themselves there. And it's really cool. Seidel kind of has that dragon kid thing going for him where, you know, my favorite era of dragon kids career is what he's been doing the last five, six, seven years where his body really slowed down, but it seemed like at the same time, his mind accelerated in those 15 years before 2013 2014 that he had been wrestling it seemed like all of that had been leading up to a point where now he had become just an incredibly smart and sensible wrestler and that's not to disregard the breathtaking innovation that both Seidel and Dragon Kid have provided but I really like this era where they can't do everything that they used to and they can't take all of those insane glorious but stupid bumps that they used to <laughs> and now yeah. they're working with you know drank kids working with his brain matt seidel is working with his third eye i think those are of equal value and it's really entertaining to watch i think for both guys this is personally the most i've enjoyed them in their careers drank kid again anywhere from 2014 onwards i guess you could say and then seidel once he's turned up this run in aew like I said, I think that's been the best work of his career, at least for what I value in wrestling. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed this Matt Seidel even more so than Typhoon and New Hazard Matt Seidel. Like, this is really kind of cool stuff. And I, I like seeing people, like, flush out their game in the way that he has. And it's just very nice to see. And, yeah, though, Dragon Kid, uh, I guess we could use this a little bit as a transition. Dragon Kid, at least since Kobe World, has been the most consistent wrestler in Dragon Gate in my mind like he's very consistent and he's like realized or it's something that like maybe it's just standing out given the rest of the card that like he's really really good at taking the heat and getting beat down and that's kind of like along with the future stuff that's kind of been the stuff that's like spoken to me from these first shows after uh, Kobe World and Speedstar Final. Well can we talk about the sneaky great year that Dragon Kid has had because yeah, he, he obviously had he had the dead or alive cage match, which, you know, was not the most spectacular cage match they've ever had. But I think we both 
really liked it. And then he had that stretch. This was all of May and June, pretty much, where he goes from the cage match to another singles match versus SP Kento, which I really liked that one. That was in the empty arena King of Gate show. The KZ match, the Ata match, which I thought was one of the more enjoyable Dragon Kid versus Ata matches, even if I don't think they have very good chemistry. And then he right. had the, the Susumu match in Sapporo, which I get the impression just from... Well, I, I, this will be rampant speculation. I, I I don't necessarily have anything to base this on other than the fact that I feel like I saw multiple wrestlers on the roster tweeting about this match, and it was very quickly the director's cut from this was uploaded to Drangate Network. It seemed like they made an effort to get this match out there in a way that would that would last longer than just the seven day viewing period that we rate that we normally get for the Drangate Network. So I get the impression that. You know, we both liked Susumu versus Dragon Kid, but I think there are people out there that thought even more highly of that match than we did. And then ever since then, like he fits into high end great. I love his role there. I thought he was excellent at Kobe World. Dragon Kid has been shoot great this year. Yeah, it's just something that really has like spoken out to me. And I'm sad that, that Ben K and Dragon Kid has kind of tailed off after that challenge because that was a fun tag team as well at Speed Star Final. Yeah, that was a really fun team. And that's one of those where I think if they would have won the belts there, we would have fully been on board with, okay, let's give these guys six months. You know, let's let's let these guys work a little bit. This is a very fun tag team. The nature of the beast, though, is that they ran into King Shimizu and Susumi Yokosuka. And I don't want to see those guys losing the belts anytime soon because I do think that is a special tag team that has a boatload of potential. But this goes back to kind of what I said about Dragon Kid uh, to reference that podcast again that we did with Alan where we were talking about the best wrestlers in the Dragon system where, you know, if, I, if I'm making a list of the 100 greatest wrestlers of all time, Dragon Kid is probably not on that first draft. And then I probably put him on that second time. But then I think, well, nah, he's Dragon Kid. I don't really want to put him on there. But no, you ha- to me, you have to. 21 years now of consistency, of innovation, of uh, thoughtful storytelling and wrestling. I always pointed the Flamita match at Kobe world 2014, where we had seen Flamita do some batshit things already. He had that crazy match with Susumi Yokosuka that I think defined the rest of his career. I still think Flamita is getting booked off of him versus Susumu at dead or alive 2014. That match literally made his career, but in I mean, Japan, uh, go ahead. I, I mean, he's the monarch now. I, I, he's spooky. Spooky gets booked. <laughs> Did you see the? F- uh, I almost I almost swore oh, for no reason the the, the flame fly the, to the floor. Yes. The, what the hell was that, Mike? That is the gnarliest bump I have seen this year, and they did it in empty arena Ring of Honor, which is incredibly depressing. But yeah, yeah, through a table, through a table. So uh, basically, a one man Spanish fly off the top rope through a table. And they did it in front of no one. This was uh, uh, Ray Horace and, of course, Demonic Flamita, which, man, I would like to see that back in Japan. That would ju- that would be great because we made fun of Flamita for so long for just coasting in with the same character. And it's like, well, it's the middle of July. Flamita's going to challenge for the Brave Gate belt. It would be great if he came back and was Demonic Flamita and had to, had to change things up. But before there was an evil Flamita, there was a 19-year-old in Japan who was turning heads all across the world, and he had this very methodical, very smartly laid out match with Dragon Kid at Kobe World 2014. It's on the network, and it was not necessarily the insane, you know, we're going to trade Dragon Ranas and we're going to do, you know, something you guys have never seen before. 
it was really kind of just a very basic match with a very clear build and it ends with Flamita kicking out of Dragon Kid's biggest moves and then getting the win. And I do feel like for as fun as Flamita was before that and for as fun as he would be after that, that is the match that really established him as more than just a fun foreign wrestler in japan that really gave him some credibility and kind of thought like okay you you belong here now you've proven you can be great against Susumu, and you've proven you can be smart with dragon kid and and you have a home here for as long as you'd like yeah and it's something where that match i i can't put flamita on the same tier as pack or ricochet or really matt seidel to be honest just because they were the first ones to do things and they were like really like deep in there but flamita i mean if we're talking about our mount rushmore of dragon system gaijin he has to be the fourth one up there with ricochet pack and uh, matt seidel if you ask me like he he really made his career off that match and it's cool to see him take covid and revitalize himself and you know getting turning to like a mini hechicero <laughs> in a way <laughs> but it, the, the one thing i'll say is he comes back he is not hitting 83 kilos by far. <laughs> He's blown past the Bravegate division in more ways than one. We're going to get John Hernandez on here. A little insert of John just doing like Flamita's back report because that was that was the topic of conversation Friday in the Voices of Wrestling Slack was uh, the state of Flamita's back and perhaps some of these substances that he has been taking to to uh, I, uh, allegedly. It's just amount, pizza. It's just it's pizza. Just, it's just a lot of, uh, for lack of a better term, back knee going on with Demonic Flamita. You raise an interesting point, though. Mount Rushmore of Drangate Gaijins. I think you have to put Pac, Ricochet, Seidel on there. We'll debate the order in just a second. But your fourth vote is going to Flamita over, say, Rich Swan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I just think that Rich Swan didn't have the tenure really long enough, even though that Rich Swan arguably did his best work in Dragon Gate and really blossomed into the wrestler that folks can see to get today. I just look at Flamita and he has the tenure between his stints there. He has the fact that, I mean, if Rich Swan shows back up, the company be like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that guy from my like 2012. If Flamita shows up, it's like, okay, who's the Brave Gate champion? Like, it's a joke that he always makes a Brave Gate challenge, but he kind of is the person that at least for like the previous era of the Brave Gate, if we're going with the idea that Kaido, Ishida, and Suzumi Yokosuka completely changed the division going forward, he kind of embodies that the, that like 2013 to 2019 era of the Brave Gate division. So I, I think it has to be Flamita. What, what's your case for Rich Swan over Flamita? There was no case for Swan. He was he was the first name I thought of to try to combat it. I was going to throw Swan at you. I was also going to throw Uha Nation at you as someone perhaps over Flamita. Yeah, no, Uha is just. I think we had a lot of runway left for for Uha, even though he got a Brit, even though he got a Dreamgate shot, even though he had twin and triangle gate reigns, felt like that there was something more there before he left. Yeah, I would. I would co-sign those takes i guess there's perhaps an argument to be made that jason lee could be in the conversation but the thing jason was treated as a roster member from day one like no he's not a a dojo graduate but i've always considered jason to be a part of that family from his debut onwards 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a special case. I mean, yeah, he's not fluent in Japanese. And yeah, he is not natively Japanese. But as you said, I mean, they pretty much adopted him after the Hong Kong shows and he's never gone back since. Like, he was pretty much treated like right on as a roster member from like the point of them announcing him get joining maximum and him being announced as going full-time versus freelance like it was treated more as you would expect someone natively joining the company than you would see like dante martin coming aboard just for example yeah because even compared to ricochet and Pac, who i think were respected off the bat and, and seidel to a degree they just embraced Jason as like, okay, he's he's one of our own. At least that's the way it came across on camera. I, I would imagine it was very similar backstage, but it seemed like Jason was very warmly embraced from the start. So yeah, that leaves us Pac, Ricochet, uh, Flamita, and who was the fourth? I still have Matt Seidel. Seidel. Yeah, uh, Seidel. Yeah. I just couldn't think of Seidel. Yeah. So what what is your ranking there? Go from, from four to one. Who ultimately is the greatest Dragon Gaijin of all time? I think Seidel is four, just because, like, yes, he was the first uh, Gaijin singles champion in Dragon Gate history. He was, he was the first one to defend a Dragon Gate belt outside of Japan. But it's something that when you stack him up to really the top two, you, you, there is a level of differentiation. Then Flamita three. The, the top two are either Ricochet or Pac. I personally... Ricochet has a lot of firsts. I mean, he's the first ever gaijin king of gate winner he's the first ever gaijin open the dream gate champion but pack is just someone that like his dream gate run was just i don't want to say revolutionary but it was place setting and we're still dealing with that place setting whereas ricochet's dream gate run it was like a nice moment you got the front page of the observer website for the first time ever but i think and this might be my personal taste i think i'm going pack one Ricochet 2, Flamita 3, Seidel 4. What's your ranking? I would love to create tremendous radio here and argue with you about Ricochet over Pac and Seidel over Flamita, but unfortunately, I do think you're right on the money, which is crazy because when we began this conversation, I wasn't sure if I had Flamita in my top four at all. Now I feel comfortable having as my number three, which is remarkable, but he was over for an extended period of time. He was a great champion. It was in numerous, numerous, numerous great matches. I, yeah, he is. He absolutely has to be on that list. And for as great as Ricochet was, one, he's annoying, and two, Pac had a better Dreamgate run. So I have to side with Pac here. <laughs> I, I, I mean, that 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 is a demerit that knocks him down to second place. I just, I, I just like, and I think I've kind of made it myself known that I think Pac is the guy that people don't think about when you're thinking about best wrestler of the last decade. You're not thinking about it as like one of the more brilliant people in ring. And there's no one in wrestling who has a bigger command of who they are as a wrestler, as a character than Pac does. And Ricochet is just complaining about being on main event, or he's asking us to be on main event. I forget what he's doing this week. Or he's asking us to watch main event. So he and Mustafa Ali, who's one of the best wrestlers in the world, can, I don't know, have a main event match. Good for them. I, I, uh, I, I Look, if Ricochet's happy, more power to him. But yeah. I do think he, I do think he's a dork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of goodwill that he managed to tweet away very, very quickly. So, uh, do, do you have anything else you wanted to touch on before we start talking about uh, Kyoto? No, no, I'm good. 
So support for Open the Voice Gate is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's uh, the, the United States' number one meal kit. And, you know, fall is busy, and recipes really save time they'd be spending, meal planning, stuff like this. I mean, case I have both F1s coming back, the Miami Hurricanes, are bailing against an Alabama in a few weeks. I don't want to spend time thinking about what I'm going to be cooking and meal prepping for the week because HelloFresh does it for me. No, the last thing I want during our National Football League season that is upon us is to worry about what I'm going to be eating. I don't want to worry about delivery fees from uh, services that are going to pick up fast, greasy food and then drop it off of my doorstep. But then as I get into the late game window, I'm just going to be feeling awful about myself. No, I would rather have HelloFresh and the tremendous options that they bring me. Because look, Mike, I had some HelloFresh dropped off earlier this week. And All right. a lot of... A lot of people would think, wow, Case, I bet you and your missus uh, had a very good time, a fun date cooking up this HelloFresh. Doesn't that just seem like something that you guys would enjoy? And in a way, that does seem like something I would enjoy. Now, of course, my heart was Bakatari sliding kicked two weeks ago. And I have been uh, in recovery mode ever since. And that's what I love about HelloFresh. I can eat away my feelings with their simple and easy to make meals. There's nothing I love more than cooking for one, whether it's sun-dried tomato spaghetti or the Caesar crunch chicken and HelloFresh provides me with the tools and ingredients to do so. Yeah. And case that's why HelloFresh offers 50 menu options and market items to choose from every week from vegetarian meals and calorie smart choices to extra special gourmet options. There's something for everyone to enjoy with recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Case, I have some bizarre food allergies. I am allergic. Of all things, I'm allergic to cashews, but I let the people at HelloFresh know that, you know, your your old pal Mike Spears, you give me a cashew, you better have an EpiPen nearby because that throat is closing up on you. And you know what? Instead, they, they gave me firecracker meatballs, which let me tell you, there's few things that I like more than a ball of meat on a bed of rice with some greens on it. And it was just a simple delight to make. I was able to get it just the, the way I needed it. Right amount of spice that I was not paying for it. And I was not thinking it was wussy. It was tremendous there. And if, you, if you're interested in this, go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW14 and use code VOW14. That's VOW14. For up to 14 free meals, including free shipping, that is HelloFresh.com slash VOW14. Use code VOW14 for up to 14 meals, including free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. You know, I think when they give Takuma Fujiwara a rebrand, they're going to call him Firecracker Meatball. I mean, Fujiwara today, or this week in Kyoto, as we shift into that August 21st, KBS Hall will be up on the network till the 28th. The future match between Takuma Fujiwara and Takumi Hayakawa. This one might have been my favorite future match to date because Fujiwara, boy, does he have some fight to him. And you know how I like my fighty young guys? Yeah, Fujiwara's a dog. I, I, I like this a lot. Again, these matches, it almost feels a little silly to get 
totally invested in them just because at the end of the day, they're five minute exhibition matches. But you had Takuma Fujiwara and Takumi Hayakawa here. Hayakawa was at the Cork and Hall show. He's a nice, short, spark plug type of wrestler. I, I think he and Kamei could have a very similar trajectory. And then Fujiwara, who, man, I, I just, I like his prospects a lot. I like the way this kid looks. I like the way he carries himself. And I like the way he hits people really hard in the chest. God, he was lighting up Fuji, uh, Hayakawa really well. It was something. And yeah, no, I like Hayakawa. Hayakawa checks a lot of boxes with me, but it's something where it's kind of more difficult to see what he might do there. Whereas you put Takuma Fujiwara in there with, I think, almost all of the roster and you give him four or five minutes and I'm pretty confident right now he's ready to go. Yeah. He feels not, not complete, but he certainly feels farther along than I think anyone that we've seen in these future classes with uh, honestly, maybe including the Ahashi brothers. Yeah, I would say so. The Ahashi brothers get a little bit of a benefit and also a lot of stress being put on them given who their parents are. But I think that Fujiwara, if you're looking for the stud of the class of 2020, I think it's him. Just because, like, he puts it together in the ring, and it's, this isn't, like, grappling exhibitions now from him. He's, like, stringing together sequences. He's chopping the shit out of his uh, of his peers, and he has a nice body slam, and good. his dropkick's great. Like, this is... He has the fundamentals down, I'm willing to say. Yeah, I uh, I will say this. I'm really excited about the Ahashi Brothers debut and this show in particular didn't necessarily make me excited about anything going forward. I have I have some complaints that we'll get to, but the Ahashi Brothers were not on this show. The the more this weekend went on and the more I started thinking about just their potential and what they could possibly mean to Drangate, I got very excited about their uh their their debuts coming up, but that is a conversation for another time. We have this Kyoto show to talk about instead. Sadly, we do have this Kyoto show to talk about. As I mentioned, it'll be up on the network until the 8th. It's a fast show. The only sh- match that went above t- 11 minutes was the main event. Everything else was between 10 and 11 match or 10 and 11 minutes per match. And okay, should we go match by match or do you just want to do big takeaways? And we can run down the results. Well, let me ask you this first. We can go match by match, but I want to ask you a big question up top because I, I think there was... Uh, something noticeable in the opening match, which was the Masquerade versus high-end trios match. Dragon Daya, Coach Minora, and Shun Skywalker, they defeated Dragon Kid, Kagatora, and Yamato. Mike, five years ago, we left Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival with Yamato beating Shingo, becoming the Open the Dreamgate champion, in what felt like just a perfect build and what ended up fe- what ended up being the final chapter of an illustrious hot period in Dragon Gate, and what followed was a very lengthy Yamato open the Dreamgate run, where it felt like his reign was not up to snuff, and as a result, the rest of the company suffered for it. And we're now five years later, coming off of a very, if not hot period because of COVID, at the very least, a very enjoyable period for consumers. We end with Yamato winning the Dreamgate champion because of the Masada Yoshino retirement. It also feels like once again, we're completely changing the direction of the company and I'm not panicking just yet, but the Cork and Hall show didn't inspire confidence in me. The Fukuoka double shot didn't inspire confidence in me. 
and this show did not inspire confidence in me. So, Mike, I, I, I'm not necessarily looking for a specific answer. I don't know if you need to have anything concrete here, but what lessons should Dragon Gate have learned from five years ago when it seemed like Yamato got the belt and everything cooled off? Because I'm now worried about it happening again. Well, I mean, the number one lesson that they put in action is not to have Summer Adventure Tag League completely kill a hot title run because you can't have a title match because you're doing a Tag League. So they've learned that. But the thing that they did not learn is you can't spin your wheels coming out of Kobe World. And it's something that in the past we had like the five-unit survival race, which was a good thing coming out of Kobe World going into Dangerous Gate where they basically had a league where the two bottom units would face off to see who would get disbanded and this year we have this four unit exciting battle that's going on there's no tangible reason to be invested into it i mean that they, they, they've been doing masquerade versus red just like they've been doing the rest of the year and i think that that's a thing that really kind of has hampered the promotion and maybe some of it is like Ato is out for the first week and then now kz is on the il with what's being described as like an ankle contusion right now. So it's very hard for them to make like big moves, but it just feels like that they're just very overwhelmingly spinning their tires right now, which was the exact thing that tanked uh, Yamato's 2016 Dreamgate run because you went Summer Venture Tag League to his first defense against Akira Tozawa at Dangerous Gate 2016. Okay, that sounds fine. What happened right after that title match? Akira Tozawa says he's leaving the company in two months. So then the next two months were all about Akira Tozawa. There was no Dreamgate match at Gate Destiny 2016 because it was time for Akira Tozawa's farewell match. So he didn't make his second defense until Dead or, or, or Final Gate. And it just completely tanked it. And you like you look what's going on here. And yeah, we do know that he has a defense coming up at, at Dangerous Gate. But it's against possibly Kai, who we've seen a lot of that over the last 18 months. Uh Versus Benkei, one of Benkei's title defenses was against Yamato in 2019 and against Masaki Mochizuki, which that is a fresh matchup. Masaki Mochizuki hasn't had a title match in several years. There's only so many more years you could probably put him in title matches. But there's just two out of three options there, Case. Feels like spinning the wheels, and that tells me that they didn't really learn much. Yeah, it's it's a bummer. I, I don't like this feeling that I have about the promotion. I... I thought the three-way, when they announced it, thought it was wacky, thought it was, you know, one of those let-it-play-out situations, but we're now seeing the build to it, and the closer it becomes to being a reality, the more bothered I am by it. Again, we still have unanswered questions with Coach Minora and how he fits into the Streamgate picture, and I do think that's actively hurting the company, because again, the answer doesn't have to be Yamato versus Minora at Dangerous Gate. But there does need to be some explanation as to why he's not, at the very least in the title picture, why he's not in consideration. Is Yamato ducking him? Is Rio does Rio Saito have a personal grudge against Minora and is preventing him from getting a title match? Like we do not know at this point. And that is frustrating to watch unfold. Because it seems like that is kind of my big question mark. But then again, you know, the Kai match is stale. I, I thought we had the perfect blow off in the no ropes match. I don't want to see them do it again under any stipulation. The Ben K match, which, you know, great. It's been two years since we've seen it. I'm sure it'll be great. But it's two years after they just had this match in the same venue at the same show. And also now they're in the same unit. So that seems bizarre. 
And then you have Yamato versus Mochizuki, and this is probably the least interesting way to get to Yamato versus Mochizuki, which is historically one of the best matchups this company has. Yeah, so, and, and this is a promotion that very much, like, is dependent on how the units are and how the Dreamgate situation is. Well, the units are in this weird period where REDs coming up on their third year anniversary. That's incredibly long for a heal unit in Dragon Gate, even though heal units last a little bit longer. And then the Dreamgate picture is just muddled. So top down, it's just not necessarily a fulfilling time and not really where I would be wanting to go after your biggest star in the company has retired. And we've already started to see at least box office a little bit of a impact of that but it's also hard to really judge given the last 20 months no i really thought they made a mistake not doing a big angle on the cork and hall show this month i really thought doy would be involved in something huge they didn't go in that direction but now the, these shows feel like the same you know road two shows that we saw in late march and early april where we were either building up to yoshino returning to the ring or building up to the cage match that had been booked for a very long time at that point. Just nothing ever. The, the ball has yet to get rolling this year. We're always just slowly pushing things along. And right when it seemed like we have, we, we had momentum coming out of world, they're now doing a hard reset, but they're doing nothing exciting about it. They're once again, just starting from, from ground zero. And it's very frustrating to watch this company who was so hot in the second half of last year and consistently, you know, this is never their best period. They always take a second to get going out of Kobe world. But now I have history on my side to say, oh, wait, Yamato's world champion. And they seem to have a lack of direction to the Dreamgate scene. This is very troubling. Yeah. And it's something that when Yamato brought back the almighty catchphrase and was acting a little bit heelish in his challenge, I was like, all right, we're starting to see Yamato with some edge here and it just does not seem like that that's translating forward and it's something where like yeah they still do have about a month until dangerous gate there's a lot of tv between now and then but i mean the brave gates doing their own thing brave gate stuff no genuine complaints about that but like twin gate division we really don't have much direction there's no one building up steam there triangle gate i mean triangle gate they'll pick three people and they'll have that match at dangerous gate on the 20th but i'm like i'm looking at this so they have kobe sambo hall this weekend we have nara also this weekend so that's a naruki doi homecoming show and then we have the full slate of another cork and hall show in osaka number two before dangerous gate so they have five shows leading up to one of their biggest shows of the year and we're still there's still not a whole lot of direction and Yes, maybe it is something that they get through Dangerous Gate, they get everyone back healthy again, especially like unit leaders, and they kind of figure things out from there. But then you have a long break until uh, Gate of Destiny and Gate of Origins. So, I mean, you, you still have all of October to figure out. And it's like, look at this, whereas maybe it was something last year that the fact that they pretty much ran a condensed six-month uh calendar year for them starting in july so like everything was happening hot and heavy so they constantly had to start doing things there but there was life there and there is no life over the last four shows and especially no life in this kbs hall show to be quite honest well casey having an ankle injury shouldn't derail whatever momentum you have to get to a big five pay-per-view because i i don't think you can just 
get through Dangerous Gate. That needs to be a monumental show. That's one of your big shows of the year. And as we talked about with Jay a few weeks ago, Dead or Alive did not hit big. Kobe World and Speed Star Final, pretty much unanimous praise, but now you have to build on that, both obviously in terms of the Western fan base, which we're a little bit more connected to, but at home, still in Japan, you have to build on that. And, and now that Ata's back healthy, we saw him on this show, Shun Skywalker's back, Yamato's obviously the champion. A, a KZ ankle injury can't mean, okay, guys, we're going to hold up and just see what happens here, because I have no reason to believe that KZ was going to be in any match of importance on Dangerous Gate anyways. He was a guy that needed to be cycled down and then brought back up. So it's frustrating. Yeah, and it really is illustrated by this opening match, as you mentioned, Masquerade versus High End. It could have been Nora got the win on Kagatora with the gong in 10 minutes and 32 seconds. And we talked about him a little bit ago. My biggest takeaway here was Dragon Kid looked great. And we had Kid versus Daya stuff going on here. And that was really kind of exciting to see. They kind of kept them at arm's length during the Generation War for because of the fact that they're both dragons and they wanted to play it up later, I bet. But I that was kind of like my big takeaway from this opener was I liked seeing Dragon versus Dragon and, you know, they finish. I mean, the finishing stretch was fine. Yeah, unfortunately, I I found the booking of this show on paper to be pretty uninspired. And then I didn't think the in-ring was all that solid. So I'm sure there's a version of this match that is a four and a half star classic. I'm sure these six guys could put that together. But I thought this was probably as laissez-faire of a match as these six guys could have it was I, I thought largely just existing through a coach menorah kagatora finishing stretch which i thought was pretty enjoyable in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe i can pull a ken Griffey jr rookie card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous round bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying hey look at some random cards whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, 
Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Yeah. And then we went into match two. Uh, Naruki Doi and Jason Lee, former Maximum Partners, teaming up against BB Hulk and SB Kento. SB Kento got the win on Jason with the German suplex hold in 11 minutes and 47 seconds. This was my match of the show. It reminded me how much I enjoyed Doi and Lee as a tag team. The crowd got really, really into it. At great SBK sections well when jason lee and sbk were together it was great hulk was hulk and i thought this was the best match on the show i went three and a half on it i i was not as high on this as you but i still did really like this match i i have no idea what the future holds for doy i'm constantly trying to figure that out in my own head i don't think his next step will involve jason lee but i do hope at some point before naruki doy calls it quits and we have no reason to believe he will anytime soon but you know, man's getting up there in age. I would like to see him and Jason Lee work together for a prolonged period of time again, because this brought back maximum flashbacks. And while that is an era of the promotion that was at times dire, maximum was thoroughly and consistently entertaining and by large part due to what Jason Lee and Naruki Doi did. So they picked up on that chemistry here. And as we continue to see, the SB Kento Jason Lee chemistry is real and it's spectacular. And I hope at some point that is leading to a, a open the Brave Gate Championship match, whether it be at Dangerous Gate or at Gate of Destiny. Yeah, no, it's something where ever since last week, where I was like, I think SB Kento has got it now. I've been keeping special look here, and another guy not has not put a bad step forward. Uh, the the Jason and Doi stuff reminded me, weren't they the tag team and? 2018 in the four-way twin gate match wasn't it those two Ooh, that is that is such a great question that sounds right let me let me confirm with you although perhaps not because, it might have been well, 2019 um, i know they challenged cage, cage match linked me to the wrong jason lee give me give me one second that is a very how, unfortunate situation how uh, dare they how dare how, they? how dare they uh you Mm, Jason Lee's twin gate history is Shimizu and Eita versus Jason Lee and Kaito Ishida, uh, and then him winning the belts with Minora. So there was not a Naruki Doi match in there that I'm aware of. So I'm just inventing a match that wanted to happen. Uh, I was thinking of, I looked this up in 20, 2019, I was thinking of the uh, uh, Big E team versus Yamato and Kai versus Doi and Kaito Ishida. I was thinking about that match. Oh, at World, yeah, that match was that match was excellent. Do you remember this Ata and Shimizu versus Jason Lee and Kaito Ishida Twin Gate match? <sighs> was that a Gate of Origin match? No, this was at Fukuoka on a show that I I weirdly remember because they did Speed Muscle versus Hyo and Akuda, and then KZ versus Mochizuki, which ended in a double pin. And I remember both of those, but I do not remember this Twin Gate match. Uh, Shimizu and Eita yeah. versus Jason Lee and Kaito Ishida. So that no. is uh, something for me to go back and rewatch. 
Yeah, that is beyond me. Something that we did have to watch, Case, was six-man tag team match, Ultimo Dragon, Yazushi Kanda, and getting the call-up, Ho-Ho Loon versus Ryo Saito, Yosuke Samurai, and Strong Machine J. Kanda got pinned with a machine suplex in 10 minutes and two seconds, and very paint by the numbers, in my opinion. Just kind of was exactly what you would expect, except we got like three minutes about Maria's butt, people getting their face shoved into it. So... I have a comparison to make here, and I want to see if you understand where I'm going with this. So fill in the blank, Mike. Strong Machine J and Shingo Takagi have this in common. They are usually the one sane person in a match full of insane people. (laughs) That is, you know what, points for that. I'll I'll go Chris Hardwick style, I'll give you points there. Um... Not the answer I was looking for, though. (laughs) I I think I have had a crossroads with Strong Machine J, and I'm really not sure what to do about it because I have a feeling that Drangate doesn't know what to do about it. But there is something, I'll throw the words jarring and off-putting out there, even if perhaps that's not as, as finite as I'd like to be. Perhaps those are a little too reactionary. But seeing Strong Machine J in meaningless matches like this is very strange to watch. He kind of has that Shingo syndrome where it, you know, it ended up to a point where Shingo had to leave the promotion and it worked out for all parties. So more power to him, but Shingo couldn't be cycled down. He was a little too powerful and a little too protected. So Shingo in a match two looked ridiculous. Even if for the sake of the card, he really didn't need to be in the main event scene. Strong machine. Jake, kind of has that thing like i can't tell if he's if he's over pushed for his level as like a triangle gate champion or if he's under pushed in matches like this but he is not like you know a dragon kid who was able to work the opener here and then you know could work the main event next week strong machine j does this make sense where it's just it feels like he almost doesn't fit in anywhere on the card yeah and i mean that's gonna be I, I feel like he's going to have to compare the Hashi brothers just because it seems like that they're slotted as, oh, this is Strong Machine J's kid. Oh, this is the first pair of wrestlers in Japan that have both wrestler fathers and mothers. Like, it just seems like that, like that kind of thing is like where I could see it going because Strong Machine J does totally have the thing of like, he is just like when I made that joke about the same person amongst a ring of crazy people, it, it is that he's out of place. So I, I totally see where you're coming from with that. And it kind of was on display here. I mean, not a whole lot of SMJ throughout this match. I mean, Ultimo Dragon probably did more than SMJ with this, but Strong Machine J got in there after all the uh, all the hijinks hit this, the machine suplex on Kanda and got out of there. And that's like my only memory of SMJ in this match because he was just so out of place and just kind of sequestered in a way. Yeah, I feel like I did a poor job of explaining that, but you picked up the pieces there and, and made it somewhat understandable. I just don't, I don't know what to do with him in the booking. It is one of those deals where just from the business perspective, I'm very happy that he's involved with the promotion, but... I remember feeling nervous when when the Strong Machines lost those Triangle Gate belts and that run ended because my, my thought was, okay, what the hell do you do with him now? This was such an established gimmick, so protected and so clear that now, you know, he's going to look awkward when he's not in the ring with the other Strong Machines. And, and you know, 
he had that triangle gate run last year with Ben K and Dragon Dia, but that yeah, that was an awkward pairing team. Those were three guys that were literally thrown together. I don't think he particularly shined in that run. Then he got hurt. He's someone who they don't trust to have singles matches. I just I don't know what I don't know what you do with him. He's a, a very perplexing wrestler where you know when when we heard a few months ago that he was on the on the road to recover and that he was coming back I I got kind of excited like okay strong machine Jay's back in the fold that's nice to see and then he comes back and I'm immediately throwing my hands up and going I don't know what this guy is I don't I don't know if I need him on these cards Yeah it, it it's something where you just can't figure out that and I feel like they're still trying to figure out this and it's almost something that like yeah, you kind of have to keep him masked in a way, but I want to see what he is out without being like his father's son. And I feel like he's kind of cursed by that because they don't, they, they kind of feel like they place him that. So you can't really put him into singles matches. And yes, he does have the bad wing that got fixed. And it's just very confounding the fact that Strong Machine J, his dad is, I wouldn't say a famous wrestler, but he was a wrestler during the peak of wrestling in Japan. And he's just adrift because that Triangle Gate team was so bizarre. It was like, oh yeah, we're all of the same generation. Like that was the team. It was like some of the times when like you would have a Triangle Gate team where it's like, oh yeah, it's uh, Maraha Isapa and Naoki Tanizaki seeming with him as well. It just feels very, very bizarre in a way. And he, he's someone that like I've still, I've constantly grappled with Strong Machine J in this company just because he does not make sense, but he works well enough and fits in so well. But just like, overall all of it there's just a little bit of detachment there that i don't know how you fix it with him still being strong machine j if that makes sense yeah that's the thing i i almost wish when he came back this time around that you know we would have almost had the artist formerly known as strong machine j and he, and he would have done something else because again i see the value in him being the next generation of strong machine but i don't it's just i i think it, perhaps some of it is just the the isolationist tendencies of Dragon Gate, where it's great that he's strong machine, you know, he's the next strong machine, but also he's in Dragon Gate. So who cares if he's the next strong machine? You know, they need to be focused on their units at this time and now. And he sticks out, and I'm not sure if it's in a good way or not. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, there's a lot of people who stick out in this company that don't fit the typical Dragon Gate mold. And I think some of that is on display in the next match, but. SMJ just does not necessarily fit the mold, and now we're approaching year three of him in this company, and it's just still trying to figure it out there. But uh, do you have any other thoughts before we move on to the second half of the card? No, I do not. Featuring a man who broke the mold, Keisuke Okuda versus UT. Okuda won with a rear naked choke in 10 minutes and 31 seconds. Uh, this has my favorite Matt Worker in the ring in Dragon Gate, UT versus Okuda, doing a live knee work. It was very much my kind of thing, but it was not at the level of the match I had previous this year. It was a 10-minute singles match that was fun, in my opinion. Yeah, once this concluded, I was pretty much done with this show because I, I loved their Dead or Alive match. Was that Dead or Alive that had that, that Brave Gate match? It was in Nagoya. They, they love being people in their hometown, yes. That's right, that's right. Yeah, Dead or Alive, and then they had the King of Gate match, which was like two minutes, and it was thrilling. And then they ha they just had this, which was just there. A, a very... Very frustrating to watch because I, I, I thought this was the best match on the show. I gave it three and a quarter, but we've seen these guys have a four and a quarter star match. So this was just such a massive letdown. Yeah. And like, this is a match that really kind of just built up Okuda's knee injury that he started suffering Fukuoka. I mean, getting in there with uh, 
UT, who did like the there was like this really nifty knee bar that he went for that Akuda was able to like roll him up and sack it, sack up. But instead of like kicking out, a uh, UT moved to another version of the knee bar that was pretty fascinating. But this was just kind of there to serve the purpose of building up. Okay, Keisuke Akuda, ever since facing SB Kento, people are tearing him apart. And that was like the only takeaway there, not the fact of, oh, wait, these are two of the Brave Division's like most exciting wrestlers. It was building the storyline here, and UT was just a happy participant in it. Yeah, I I wanted this to be better. I I still feel good about Akuda's future prospects. UT has been very good since since post-Kobe World, but this was not a great match, and I, I think this show needed a great match, and unfortunately we didn't get it here, and we certainly did not get it with what followed. Yep, semi-main event. This is one of Case's favorite match types. It's a Dreamgate preview match, where people in the Dreamgate match that's coming up at Kobe, uh, not Kobe, at Cork and Hall, deciding the next Dream Key holder with Benke teaming with Masaki Mochizuki versus the third person in that match, Kai, teaming with Kaito Ishida. Uh, Kai got the win after Benke ate a high kick that he took right like a champ in 11 minutes and 45 seconds. The high kick was the high point of this match. Like, it was a brutal looking, like, yeah, no, you're down for this match. Like, oops, you, oops, Mochi misfired there, but that was it. Okay, but I'm not wrong in thinking this match type sucks, right? Like, I, I thought this was thoroughly uninteresting until the finish, and I, I as Mike established, I never like these sorts of matches. <laughs> yeah, it, it's something where, and this is something that I think we can really say in 2021, especially with, like, the cage the cage building with here. Sometimes they have done all the build necessary for a match, and they still feel like that when they're on tour, they need to have the match in front of every town, which I get. I, I get the idea of maybe they aren't people who subscribe to the network. Maybe they might not have caught up with this, so we want to show it them th- that here. But this match was just nothing. It just was nothing. This is a feud that, I mean, this is a title match build that just like, all right, you, you've made the match Rio Saito. Let's have the match and get it over with. We don't need a second week, and we're probably going to get more of this in, in Sambo Hall and Nara building up this thing when like it's built we don't need to go back to this thing this is unnecessary yeah i i just i'm not into the story at all i wasn't into this match at all normally i like what ashita and mochizuki bring to the table but i didn't think they did anything special here this was this was teetering on actually being a bad match up until the finish which i thought saved it yeah like it's did not escape the two-star range for me, which is really disappointing for a Dragon Gate semi-main event, especially involving really all four of these people. I was about to put Kai off in his own little thing, but involving all four of these people, Kai's had great matches in this company. He's had great matches well, less than 60 days ago in this company. It just was an absolute disappointment there. Yeah, exactly. And then we went to the main event. This was part of the four-unit exciting battle. We don't know why they're having exciting battles, and this battle wasn't necessarily exciting. Natural Vibes versus R.E.D., Susumi Yokosuka, Ginki Horiguchi, and King Shimizu of Natural Vibes versus R.E.D., Eita, Diamante, and Hyo. King Shimizu got the win with the King Press on Hyo in 17 minutes and 21 seconds. I was watching Ada pretty closely in this match just to see what he was capable of doing. Of course, he was uh, quarantined for a bit after he came in contact with Yohei of Pro Wrestling Noah, who contracted COVID-19. Eita, uh, as far as I'm aware did not test positive. 
Uh, but this was the first time he had wrestled on a Dragon Gate show since Kobe World and Speedstar Final. And, uh, you know, he's, he seems back to normal. What, whatever precautionary measures they took seemed to be worth it. He was fine. But unfortunately, this was a Dragon Gate main event match that I thought was mostly centered around Hyo, which means Diamante and Ata, the two two better workers in that trio, took the night off. And this was just a a disappointing way to end a disappointing show. Case, this is how the shows have been lately. Eita reappeared in Fukuoka, and he was in the matches there, but we just did nothing there, and he didn't really do anything here. So, like, I assume he's okay, but he's just not doing anything. But- yeah, no, this, that's the thing. This was a match of a bunch of guys not doing anything, which is not exactly what I want from a Dragon Gate main event. Yeah, and like Hyo was like Hyo was MVP of this match because this match was all about Hyo, and Hyo has figured out his character and he plays to his character excellently. Diamante is fun when he goes up against like Shimizu. Now that like we see him going up against bigger wrestlers, like how he faced off against Shun Skywalker a few weeks ago, and that was really exciting because I let Shun Skywalker fly. Like him being able to face the heavyweights is a lot of fun, but the rest of this match was just paint by numbers. This was a paint by numbers show. I think this is the weakest show they've had all year. There's nothing worth watching on Kyoto. Yeah, no. I mean, honestly, you know what's most worth watching, Case? Futurist match. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, that does it for Kyoto. Again, it'll be up on the network until the 28th. It is like a two-hour show, but you could probably find two hours worth of wrestling. It's probably more worth your time. This was just a show that they did. Uh They'll be back this weekend. They'll be in the friendly confines of Kobe Sambo Hall this Saturday, 6 o'clock local starting time. And then they have Naruki Doi's homecoming, which, I mean, it's always nice to see the people of Nara come out for their favorite wrestler. It, it's lost a little bit of the shine. Okay, so you, you remember what the, the old story was about Naruki Doi and his homecoming shows? No. So when Naruki Doi was a heel in Mad Blanky and Berserk, he, the heels in Dragon Gate are the only ones that do not participate in setting up the ring, doing concessions, doing like all the front of house stuff. The heels don't do that because they're heels. They keep kayfabe in that. Naruki Doi, as that, refused to sign any autographs for like that four-year period, except for when he went home to Nara because he loved his hometown and his hometown still supported the rest of the country. It kind of became a thing where he's like, the rest of the country can go to hell. I'm going back to Nara. And the the, the stories were that like everyone signed up at the at the at the autograph table because they had to get Naruki Doi's autograph. And there there was like a story, and I don't know if it's like truth or not, that there were like Naruki Doi super fans going to the homecoming just because they wanted to get him to sign their Mad Blanky T-shirt because he refused to do it elsewhere. And that's like the notable thing about Nara to me. Also, they love deer. They love deer? The Nara deer. They have wild deer throughout Nara. It's like a big thing. Like that's why Naruki Doi has like antlers as part of his ring gear. Like like Nara is known as like the deer town and in Japan. Like during COVID, it was like a big thing of like who are feeding the deer now that no one's outside and no tourists are coming to feed the Nara deer. So at the very least case, out of this episode, you learned something about Nuruki's hometown today. Fascinating. That was so much more interesting than anything on that Kyoto show. <laughs> I mean, hey, I would love to go meet a Nara deer and then feed it and then go to Nuruki Doi's homecoming show and get an autograph from him when he's not signing autographs outside Nara. It's a great time. So, yeah, this I'm glad you enjoyed it, Case, because I enjoy talking about it more than I did this Kyoto show. 
Very much so. Post-pandemic plants, Mike and I are going to go to NARA, but uh, unfortunately, we're a ways off from that. But Mike, that's all I've got this week. Yep, that's all I got. Two, you could follow us at Open Voice Gate. I usually don't like crossing the streams here, but if you're someone who's interested in other Caselow thoughts, be sure to check out the Everything Elite Patreon, where Case and Aaron Bentley did an excellent 100 minutes, almost two hours, about the return of CM Punk. And you might have sold me a little bit more on CM Punk case on that episode. Because, you know, I veer more negatively towards him than obviously you do or Aaron does. But excellent audio. People go check it out on the Everything Elite Patreon. Very talented wrestler. Had a lot of fun doing that show with Aaron Bentley. So, yes, uh, uh, worth worth a monthly subscription to the Everything Elite Patreon just to hear me and Aaron Bentley talk about our, our straight-edge savior, CM Punk. There you go. I mean, I, I could not participate in that show as I'm not straight edge, but having generations of straight edge people on that show, I mean, it just is chef's kiss, chef's kiss. <laughs> so. Thank you, Mike. All right. You could follow us at Open Voice Gate. You can follow Case at underscore in your case. You can follow me at Fujiheya. That does it for Open the Voice Gate. We'll come back next week to talk about the Kobe Samba Hall show and maybe a little bit more about Nara Deer. Take care, everyone.